Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Monday, September the 21st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Something that makes Ireland a bit of an outlier in the world of 21st century politics has been the relative absence of a significant far-right movement. Many ideas have been advanced for why this might be so, ranging from the, the country's demographics and its own history of emigration to the alignment of Irish nationalism with parties which generally place themselves on the anti-imperialist or left-wing parts of the political spectrum. But that doesn't mean that the far-right doesn't exist at all in Ireland and there are some signs that some elements of it may be trying to take advantage of various protests on issues including direct provision and masks and other issues as well in order to broaden their appeal. I am joined today by my Irish Times colleague, our crime correspondent Connor Gallagher, who's been investigating this and wrote a major piece on it in the Irish Times weekend edition of The Weekend Just Gone. Connor, how are you? Not too bad, Hugh. Uh, let's start with a bit of definition, shall we? What is the far right? It's a good question. Um, so far right's kind of a, in some ways, it's kind of a clumsy phrase. Um, as I think I mentioned in the piece, you know, some people on the left might use it to refer to anyone to the right of Fine Gael. Um, and then, you know, there's a kind of a resentment maybe among some conservative people who will see them, themselves being labelled as far right when actually what they hold is fairly traditional conservative views, like maybe being opposed to abortion, wanting like stronger immigration controls. But if we take a fairly narrow definition of the far right, um, you know, people who have links to maybe far right groups in the Europe or neo-Nazi groups in Europe, people who believe in kind of racist um, conspiracy theories like this thing, the Great Replacement, which is a conspiracy theory that Western governments are attempting to purposely replace native populations with immigrants for various nefarious reasons. Um, then um, there is quite a large, and I mean large in a relative sense, group of, of people who would believe that in Ireland, including some political parties, including um, the National Party and the Irish Freedom Party. Their leadership has has, has espoused this idea um, on, on multiple occasions, but most of it exists online. Previously, in kind of the shadier corners of the internet, like these forums that you might have heard about, like 4chan and uh, encrypted messaging apps like Telegram, but more and more so in recent years, and particularly in recent months, on kind of the surface web, on Twitter and Facebook and um, and YouTube. Yeah, I want to get into all that social media part because that's obviously a, a, a huge part of it in a moment, but. Just to kind of the complete the definition thing, those two parties you mentioned, the Irish National Party and the Irish Freedom Party, I mean, who are they and do we have any idea how many people would be involved in each of those? So the probably the bigger of the two would be the Irish Freedom Party and they wouldn't they would reject the the, the term far right as as would nearly all of the people we're talking about um but the Irish Freedom Party were were launched in 2008 to campaign for a Irish withdrawal from the EU that's its main focus and 
remains its main focus. It's led by a man called Herman Kelly, who used to work for Nigel Farage in Europe. He's advocated for things like a monocultural Irish society. He's um, been a proponent of this great replacement conspiracy theory as well. So just to be clear then, even though in a way the Irish Freedom Party presents itself publicly as being the Irish version of, of UKIP, or of the Brexit party more recently. There are views espoused by Herman Kelly which go well beyond that. 100%. And I, I think it's fair to say in the last year or so, with kind of all the evidence on, they're making little inroads towards you know Ireland leaving the EU if we go by opinion polls. Um, they've really started focusing on immigration and you know, the, the, what they perceive as the dangers to Irish society and Irish cultures. I mean, for example, Herman Kelly there uh, the other day, after the Leaving Set results, uh, tweeted up a, a, a video of, of, a, of a group of black, young black Irish men uh, kind of dancing up the street, presumably after getting the results, and kind of dancing in front of a guard van. And the guards are laughing and um, saying this is gangs intimidating guardies. So he's, he's really trying to push this 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 kind of negative view of having a, a multicultural society. And uh, the Irish National Party, led by Justin Barrett, who's a figure who's been around for quite a long time on the fringes of Irish politics. Yeah, I mean, maybe people would remember him from his time in youth defence with the, the anti-abortion uh, group, um, also opposition to various, or the Nice Treaty, I think, most prominently, he got quite a platform for that. Um, you might also remember him for, I think, in 2002, it emerged in the Irish Times that he'd addressed uh, neo, several neo-Nazi uh, r- rallies uh, on the continent. Um, he, he later distance themselves from these groups so in 2016 he set up the the national party and the national party would be i think fair to say the most extreme of these organized groups um they have advocated for things like actually deporting irish born citizens who might come from um uh, uh, whose parents might have been born abroad so people like uh, the lord mayor of dublin hazel shoe uh it, that they'd be a regular target of hers or she'd be a regular target of theirs, sorry. Uh, you know, they, they would want to see someone like her deported back to China because her parents are from China, even though she's born in Ireland. Um, also proponents of the, the, the this great replacement conspiracy theory and very much anti-LGBT attempts to equate LGBT lifestyles with uh, things like child abuse and, and things like that. Um, so really taking all the boxes for those kind of extremist parties, but uh, the Irish National Party has a, a very ca- uh, Catholic kind of emphasis. So it'd be kind of a extreme Catholic na- uh, nationalism. And just to be clear, that that great replacement theory um, it has a strong element of anti-Semitism to it as well, because it's often associated with it being a Jewish conspiracy of some sort to... Um, to change the makeup of local populations. Yes, absolutely. You know that's why you'll always hear these people go on about George Soros a lot. I and mean, George Soros is a a billionaire financier turned kind of philanthropist who gives a lot of money to uh, progressive causes and has given money to organisations in Ireland. They would see him. He's and he's he's Jewish as well, and they would see him as being behind a lot of this. That's a conspiracy theory that comes directly from America. That's been circulating in the American right and far right for for, for the last couple of years. So it's just that's just been imported wholesale over the year. Basically, the Great Replacement is an updated and kind of slightly sanitised version of the white genocide theory that would have been espoused by 
people like the National Front in, in, in the UK and kind of German neo-Nazi groups that, you know, white people are going to go extinct unless we take action, that sort of thing. Now, both those parties, both these parties have stood for election in the last few years in Ireland. How have they done? Uh, pretty terrible. Uh, universally terrible, actually. They ran what I would imagine is a record number of, well, the far if the far right there was a record number of far right candidates in the the most recent election i i think it's fair to say there was about 30 people who you could say were running on a on a far right platform none got enough to uh to even get their deposits back i'm not sure if anyone broke 2% um the most successful would have been people like Gemma O'Doherty who would have the highest profile um and uh, she's a former Irish independent journalist turned kind of far right activist um and he, she's ran in, in 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 basically all the major previous elections in recent years and she i think got around 2% or just below us so that's the sort of the the political landscape but i think any of us who are active at all on social media and intersect with you know political debate on platforms like twitter um We'll be conscious of the fact that there's a whole other world out there of people, call them what you want, many of them are anonymous, most of them are anonymous, who um, espouse the sort of views which you've just described there. And there seem to be an awful lot of them out there. I'm not quite sure personally how many there really are because obviously there's sock puppeting galore going on and one person can have 20 accounts. It's really difficult to get a handle on how significant it is, but it's certainly loud and noisy on social media. Yeah, hundred percent, and 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 that's one of the, the the major difficulties of reporting on the far right is it's really hard to find out how many people there are because people like to obviously exaggerate how many adherents they have, um, but as you said, you know, there's so many, and I talked to Twitter officials and uh, uh, for this as well, and they said they're. One of the main problems is people getting banned from Twitter, but then they just pop up under one of their other accounts. Um, so it's it's very hard for social media to police. But um, I suppose the way I try to look at it is: are they having have rather than looking at uh, raw numbers, which are very hard to get, are they having any success in shaping the narrative? So are they getting their viewpoints out there uh, to other people who wouldn't normally have anything to do with 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 uh, with, with the far right and there is some evidence that they are so like I, I went to telegram which is the uh, encrypted messaging app i mentioned earlier and that's quite popular among the far right because there's a little to no moderating on it and i went through about a dozen um kind of far right telegram accounts and what you can see there is they're a lot less guarded they're a lot more upfront and you can see them kind of so for example things like blatant anti-semitism um i'm talking like you know old school anti-semitism like elders of zion stuff um they will talk about it freely there they'll talk about harming um minorities they'll, they'll be much more forthright in their um uh, in their views um what you see there is them planning how to influence the wider debate on the kind of more popular social media accounts. So, for example, RTE ran a show there recently called The New Gales, and it's about new Irish people, and the trailer had a couple of black people uh, uh, featured in the trailer, as, as they did in the show. And you could see them planning how to uh, 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 kind of comment on this and use the hashtag or use hashtags to, uh, on Twitter and comment under the RT YouTube uh, channel to kind of 
uh, get the view across that these somehow aren't real Irish people. Another example maybe is there was a, a, a counter-protester last Saturday, a woman called Izzy Kamikaze. She'd be a kind of a veteran LGBT protester and she was assaulted at the rally Saturday a week ago. There was blood pouring down her, her, her face. It was very clear that she'd been attacked by, by one of the far-right protesters. But the, on Telegram, this theory arose that she had staged it and attached a blood pack to her head somehow and people on telegram were instructed to go onto twitter and use their various accounts on twitter to uh spread this conspiracy theory in the hope that it would take hold um another example um would be an attack on a young man earlier in the year allegedly by a, a, a black teenager the case before the court so we can't go into too much detail but we went on to 4chan and saw them planning the narrative about how this should play out, that it shouldn't just be framed as a an attack on one team by the other, it should be reframed as a this is the price of letting uh, black um, asylum seekers or black immigrants into the country, this is, you know, this is what happens. So you can see that being played out and then you can see the results of it on, on, on kind of surface social media and in that day had some success I mean the name of the town where the attack happened trended on Twitter for two days it was, it was even on like they got pick up from far right figures internationally, like even Infowars, that notorious conspiracy theory website run by Alex Jones in the US. Even they wrote a story about it. Um, so they are having a little bit of success in some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some actual demonstrations as opposed to things happening in, in, in cyberspace. And I want to come to those demonstrations and marches in a moment. But um, just to go back to the, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Infowars there um, and the United States, because a lot of the techniques you describe, some of our listeners are probably familiar with them being deployed in other countries, particularly in the United States, but also in several you know, European countries as well. And the internet is global. Um, I presume there's some, at least some influence happening across borders between groups on this? Or are there actual people trying to stimulate these kinds of controversies who are outside Ireland? Or is there any way of knowing that? Um, so definitely there's a, a, a large-scale transfers of, of ideas. And uh, you can see a talking point will arise in the US on, on, amongst the right and amongst kind of Trump supporters. And you'll soon see it replicated on, on, on this side of the ocean, maybe with an Irish twist, you know. So, for example, the Great Replacement conspiracy theory I referred to earlier, uh, a lot of that comes from the US, but also from the continent, particularly France. But the Irish twist would be that uh, our recently uh, removal of the Eighth Amendment uh, forbidden abortion that's part of it you know that's the to the, the suppress the native irish born population so immigrants can take over or whatever um other things like i suppose most notably the the QAnon movement um and this is kind of that's a collective term for a bewildering array of conspiracy theories in the u.s centering around donald trump and i suppose a cabal of paedophiles who are run governments and the UN and stuff. It, there's no point in getting too much into it right now, but we've seen some evidence of that uh, making inroads over here. Like if you walk past the GPO most Saturdays and look over, you'll see a lot of people bearing QAnon signs. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to get into why the Irish people are latching onto this. And I don't want to overstate it. Even within the far right people we're talking about, the QAnon stuff is quite small, and a lot of the other far right people would view it with derision. Uh, with, with, with derision, but um, it's 
uh, it is there and it's a direct import from the US. Now, if we're talking about money and stuff, that's a lot harder to nail down. And a lot of people suspect maybe there's there's funding coming from the US. It would certainly tally with what with what, what with what has happened elsewhere. But we've seen no actual evidence of this. And the truth is that a lot of this stuff doesn't require any money. It doesn't require any money to put up a, a hashtag and to get people out onto the street and to make a few signs. You know, um, so you know it's not like they're taking ads out in the radio or that sort of thing. So I'm a little bit skeptical of that. But it, you know, nothing would surprise me. But there is also the element, isn't there, that, and we're aware of this, I think the New York Times ran a, a series of podcasts on this uh, earlier this year, the kind of the radicalising effect of these groups and the way in which they can use some of the technology, like YouTube, for example, the idea that you can go down a, a rabbit hole of further and further radicalization because of what the YouTube algorithm does. If that's working in the States, it can work in exactly the same way with exactly the same content Um somebody here can't it uh, absolutely and and that is what has been happening undoubtedly to some people who have made uh, to, to give you an example uh, last year we were reporting on direct provision and how some of these uh, activists were going to towns in direct provision and kind of stir up uh, protests uh, against direct provision using kind of fairly shaky facts or interpretations of figures um and really scaremongering about asylum seekers and you know, I was watching some of the YouTube's videos about this, and this is something that's explored in that um, podcast series, uh, "The Rabbit Hole," that you mentioned in the New York Times, which is excellent. Um, you you watch you watch one thing, which is like the truth about direct provision, and then another video comes up, and another video, and uh, after a while, my YouTube mentions uh, or my YouTube recommendations, which would normally be full of film reviews and silly nonsense, was made up of. Uh, you know, kind of far-right reactionaries uh, spreading conspiracy theories. Uh, so I can see how it would be very easy to to get pulled down that rabbit hole, especially when the first video you, you might watch is quite benign. It might be, you know, have some things you disagree with, some things, you know, it might open your eyes to, but then the next video is less so and less so and less so, and, and, and then it gets dark pretty quickly. Now, I should say, I talked to some people in Google about this as well. I was um, Google on YouTube, and they say they've altered their algorithm um, and that they have, um, you know, that they're wise to this. They are trying to take action on this. Um, I have seen maybe a little bit of evidence this year of that. The algorithms don't. If you, like, maybe type in the great replacement, uh, the, video, the first five videos that will come up were think, videos explain why this isn't true you know and you have to go way down to find you know a video uh, uh being advocating it i mean you mentioned that attack on the lgbt counter protester izzy kamikaze and anti-lgbt is a is an important part of this movement it seems to me and it seems both both in terms of what what these people believe, but also perhaps as a strategic way of getting their message out to a broader audience. And there was a kind of classic example of that around the time of the formation of the government and the appointment of the Green Party TD, Roderick O'Gorman, as Minister for Children, uh, a successful campaign which probably drew in more people who didn't realise where the campaign had started. Absolutely. That was, a, uh, in, in relative terms, quite a big success for them. For them, this all went back to... Uh, a photograph um, Roderick O'Gorman had posed for with a with a man called Peter Tatchell. Peter Tatchell is a very well known UK LGBT campaigner, and in 1997 he wrote a letter to the Guardian, which caused quite a stir at the time, um, describing um, uh, how a relationship between a a, a a a boy and a man can be not 
or can be beneficial or valuable or or um, something to that effect. And he later, but in the same letter, he also condemns it. So this caused a stir. He later said that he was taken out of context and it kind of went away, uh, basically. Um, but then um, it, at the Pride March in Dublin a few years ago, he was there. Roderick posed for a picture with him that went on social media at the time and no one paid any mind. But then shortly after uh, he became Minister for Children this year, a lot of these far-right accounts, uh, they dug up the picture and demanded that uh, Roger Gorman condemn the, uh, the, the uh, you know, condemn Peter Tatchell's views. And when Roger Gorman ignored it, as, you know, was probably wise, they they started accusing him of basically being a paedophile enabler. And underneath that was that, and sometimes not underneath it, sometimes it was explicit, uh, was, was the fact that Roger Gorman's a gay man. And in their mind, homosexuality, LGBT lifestyle is adjacent to paedophilia. So this was the undercurrent that goes through. And a lot of it, is also uh, relates to this QAnon stuff that they believe paedophilia is rampant in government circles. Um, so uh, they had a march. You know, it was ostensibly like a, a march for innocence. They called it. It was to protect the children. And you know, who's going to have a problem with that? You know, who's going to defend paedophilia? Nobody. Uh, but it was this was led by the members of the National Party and another um, very active person uh, michael o'keefe and they had nooses um you know the placards depicting nooses and it was also addressed by john connors uh the well-known irish actor um and he in fairness he later came out and apologized for it and said you know he's no problem with roger gorman and personally apologized to roger gorman and roger gorman accepted the apology and and said they just wanted to move on um but you know about a thousand people turned out to listen to Justin Barrett, probably the largest group of people Justin Barrett's ever had in front of him, you know, maybe aside from those neo-Nazi rallies. Hmm. I mean, let me ask you about that, because in, I suppose, first of all, in some of the anti-direct provision centre um, protests that we saw last year, I think in places like Uchtarard, you saw quite large crowds of people. Um, I don't necessarily myself, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't necessarily myself believe that they were members of or supporters of the National Party. But equally, more recently, we've seen protests and other issues, most significantly against masks and other COVID-19 related restrictions. Uh, and they've they've got quite large crowds in, the, in Dublin city centre, for example. And these elements who we're discussing have been there, but I mean, you've attended those those rallies and those protests. In what way are they there? Are they very prominent? What do they form? Many of the people there are are they clearly trying to piggyback on the protest? What do the broader crowd of people who are there think of them? Um, it's a it's a little bit complicated. So just, let's take the one in August, which was probably their biggest one, August twenty second, outside the Custom House, and this was the first major anti mask protest. It was organised by a group called Health Freedom Ireland, who say they're completely non-political, and Yellow Vest Ireland, which, you know, the, these are this kind of populist protest group who emerged from the French uh, Gilets Jaunes movement, which has largely been dormant for the in last couple of years, but have latched on to the anti-mask stuff and have maybe seen a little bit of a resurgence. Um, so they addressed the crowd, uh, speakers from those groups addressed the crowd. Also addressing the crowd was um, members of the Irish Freedom Party, who we discussed earlier, um, including their chair, uh, woman professor Dolores Cahill of UCD, who incidentally was actually 
addressing um, a similar march in uh, Trafalgar Square in London at the weekend, at which 32 people were arrested by police over there. It got quite um, nasty at times, I believe. But um, so that's how you had speaking. You also had people like Marcus De Bruyne. Uh, 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 he's a GP from Rush. Um, um, and he spoke out about you know the government's response to nursing homes, and he he's kind of come to the prominence recently as kind of a an anti lockdown or anti maybe anti mask is too broad, but anti government measures kind of uh, um, activist. Now I spoke to him. He says he's left leaning. He'd be pro choice. He'd be you know no problem with immigration but he says this is the only place that he can get a hearing these these types of places and he's done interviews with kind of far-right youtubers as well kind of pretty dark enough people um uh but he says you know there's no space in the mainstream for him for his views so this is the only place where you know you can get those views across now in terms of the crowd the vast majority of the crowd there are not far right you know there are people maybe who have you know lost some of their livelihoods due to the restrictions there are people who are very angry there are people who might believe some of the conspiracy theories around COVID-19 but you know they wouldn't have any problem with immigration or LGBT people but then within that there's a core group of I know sorry maybe not core group but a fringe group of um far-right activists uh, like the National Party who would have unfurled the banner at that who would have unfurled a banner at that event saying something to the effect of Ireland for the Irish or, or, or something like that, then uh, also you'd had w- one of their prominent members, uh, a fella called Philip Dwyer, boasting about providing security at the event or boasting about his lads providing security at the event. And we did see footage of men in masks and wearing surgical gloves um, who uh, who Gardy said had brought a variety of weapons like extendable batons and that sort of thing to the rally and there was some clashes with counter-protesters um, and some of those people would have been me- former members of another far-right group, Generation Identity, who were active on the continent now seem to be quite defunct here um, their leaders are in the UK and Ireland are actually in prison for violent disorder or some of their leaders um, so it's a mishmash and it's you, you can't just paint them all with the fire right brush that's 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 not accurate at all but there's some bizarre groups involved as well as the ones that we've already mentioned there's there's uh one individual from Donegal you talk about who has a a a group um that he leads uh, and they formed a color party at a more recent demonstration and they also were involved in a in a some some sort of a protest during a mass in county mayo that's right, and, and 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 these would be kind of like the. This is a crowd called Seal Naharan, which I think means Seed of Ireland, um, in a rough translation. Um, and this is a fellow called Niall McConnell. It's a small enough group, but uh, they they. So there was another anti-mask march uh, organised a week ago by uh, the Yellow Vest group. These were led by a colour party, by from Seal Naharan, including Niall McConnell. And what I mean by colour party is the kind of old style thing where they have the large flags attached to kind of a um, bandolier around their waists. Um, and uh, they uh, they led the colour part, or they led the march to uh, around Dublin. But this is a very strange group. They, uh, he seems to have very strong links to uh, a guy called uh, Jim Dowson, um, who would be very prominent in the British far right and unionist uh, 
kind of far right as well um and would have ties to the british national party um so uh, but the seal and the heron would bill itself as an irish republican kind of catholic republican party so like it's it's quite strange uh, ties there but he has a facebook channel where he would interview people from like the you know the german ndp which would be basically a neo-nazi party uh, the romanian fascist party um you know kind of these extreme right parties on the continent uh and they all he also has kind of a, a thing where he he says he's a it's a political party it's actually a registered company and he asks for donations and he sells like hoodies and t-shirts with michael collins on them um he goes on food drives, he says, and you know delivers money to or delivers food to Irish people in need. Uh, but his accounts aren't available online, and it's not a registered charity. Um, he his kind of brand of um, nationalism, so we say, is kind of very much wrapped up in an old style Catholicism. So they wouldn't like Pope Francis at all. They see himself as far too liberal and they think the Irish church has become far too liberal as well. Um, so there was a priest in uh, in Mayo who let, uh, uh, I think, two Muslim members of the community say a blessing, say the final prayer in mass. Um, and so McConnell and his kind of small group of, of supporters turned up the next week and, and confronted the priest outside the church and accused him of being a heretic and of you know despoiling the 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 sacred ground of the church in a video that was put up online and um priest is obviously pretty distressed by this um but yeah as i said they were uh at the color party at the march there they uh mcconnell led an address to the marchers and there was a couple of thousand people there maybe and he's he first of all he talked about you know how brave they were and how they're the successors to the men of 1916 and people were cheering and he talked about the eu and you know in negative terms people cheered that but then he started talking about you know immigration and uh, lgbt issues you know in a very very critical way talked about lgbt pro- propaganda and called immigration a plantation and the crowd kind of went quite silent there's maybe a couple of scattered chairs uh and you could see the organizers behind them looking quite uncomfortable um so i think that maybe reflects that uh most of the people there don't actually care about that that stuff but it also reflects how these groups are trying to hijack this issue uh the yellow vest ireland later came out and kind of refuted his views and said they don't reflect the views of yellow vest uh but when i tried to talk to them they didn't respond to questions about why they let this chap lead their lead their march either i should ask you also about demo doherty because you mentioned her earlier she's probably the most prominent person in Ireland who's associated with this kind of set of views, be it things like the Great Replacement or various other things as well. Um, And she was, I I think, had quite a successful YouTube channel, but it was shut down by YouTube. Her activities in social media have also been restricted. Is she still a significant figure in all of this? No, I think. Um, So, sorry, she's still a significant figure, but she's nowhere near as significant as she was. And I'll explain why. Um, so she had a, a, a huge YouTube following uh, before she was removed. She had a massive uh, Twitter following and a massive following on Facebook before she was removed from that platform. But um, the YouTube channel was taken down for hate speech earlier or last year. Uh, Facebook ca- uh, page was also taken down and she was banned from YouTube. Now she'd been banned temporarily from YouTube on various occasions for some fairly horrendous things she said and um 
she was banned recently around the time of the or just before the Roderick O'Gorman march she was banned uh, permanently and uh, also other accounts she was suspected of using were also banned so this had a massive uh, impact on her reach um, also at the same time other members of the far right kind of started to see her as a liability more than a, m- m- uh, more than an advantage you know O'Doherty would talk about really out there things like uh, chemtrails you know that the government is um, using planes to douse us all in chemicals to control our mind or whatever and, and other really wild stuff um, so it became easy just to dismiss her as kind of a kook and that's obviously not a great recruiting tool for the far right um, so they other groups really wanted to distance themselves for her. So you saw the Irish Freedom Party distance themselves from her, the National Party distance themselves for, from her. Um, she was told she wasn't welcome at that Roger Gorman march. Uh, she hasn't been, um, as far as I can see, she hasn't been at any of the recent anti-mask marches, whereas previously she would have been addressing those marches. Um, so her her influence seems to be very much on the wane um if you look at use one of these analytic tools to look at her own personal website you can see that it's it's ranking in the you know global rankings have has plummeted since he's been taken off the, the social media platforms um so yet yeah, while she definitely was the most prominent her influence is, is definitely on the wane I suppose, um, Connor, when I look at this, I mean, these figures seem certainly to me pretty repellent, um, but they also, many of them seem bordering on, bordering on the absurd and they also seem kind of inchoate or fragmented or fragmentary. Um, but a lot of people think that there's a, there's a real threat here, don't they? And of course, there are lots of other movements in other parts of the world which appeared all those things as well, absurd and repellent and fragmented, and which have gone on to grow to be very significant. So I suppose there's no reason why that can't happen here. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea here that Ireland's immune from this stuff. Maybe that's not totally without uh, foundation. Uh, we've avoided it for this long. And as we said earlier, these people are having next to no success at the ballot box, which at the end of the day is, is, is what matters. Um, but as I, I spoke to uh, Owen O'Malley of DCU, a political lecturer in DCU, and he says kind of the same thing. There's no, there's no political minds in these groups that we can see. There's no kind of organisers on the ground who are able to, you know, get out the vote, who are able to strategically plan how to, you know, pick up votes in various areas, you know, like the people who are on the ground in Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael or, or Sinn Féin or the other mainstream parties. Um, but that doesn't mean that there isn't somebody coming up through the ranks who could be like that or who might defect from one of the mainstream parties. Uh, so it's, 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 it's really unclear at the minute what way it's going to go. I suppose against them, you've got social media finally starting to wake up to them. Um, but... Also, we're looking into a pretty serious recession here. Um, you know, we're looking into long-term uh, or impositions of these restrictions around the country. Those are both, um, you know, drivers of, of of people to extreme views, or at least are causes that can be hijacked by these people. So there's, you know, there's some 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 signs out there that they could. Uh, beyond the up and that we could see them you know uh, making ground politically um, as Owen O'Malley said to me you know he, he thinks that there's never been a better time for their rise than now in Ireland but at the same time you know we should be also caution against hysteria or whatever um, 
you know, if we had an election in the next month, I don't think we'd see much of a change than the, the, the election we had in uh, February. We should leave it there, but you can read Connor's article in full on irishtimes.com. And that is it for today's podcast. Thanks to Connor and to our producer, Declan Conlon. And indeed, if you'd like to support this podcast and all the journalism of the Irish Times, including Connor's journalism, please do go to irishtimes.com slash inside, where you can sign up for unlimited access for an introductory price of just one euro. And using that particular address does allow us to know how many of our subscribers are also listeners to the Inside Politics podcast, which is good for the podcast. So that's irishtimes.com slash inside. And if you do want to get in touch with us, we're always pleased to hear from you. You can get us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. But until the next time, thanks very much indeed for listening.